HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is supported by Melissa's Produce, the largest distributor of specialty produce in the United States. Learn more at melissas.com. Welcome to another episode of Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. My name is Aaron Sanchez. And I'm Sarela Martinez. Here on Cooking in Mexican from A to Z, from our good friends from HRN, who are bringing this wonderful uh, podcast to the masses. Our mission is to demystify Mexican ingredients, bring them to the forefront by sharing our extensive experience and uh, just a very intimate understanding of, of our, our culture through food, right? So uh, we have the distinct pleasure on this particular episode to invite someone that we have a lot of respect and love for, who we've known for a, a considerable amount of time, my good, good friend and our good, good friend, Robert Schuler. He's from Melissa's World Variety Produce. And I thought I had a cool job, Mom. You thought you had a cool job. This gentleman um, wears many different hats. He's a produce expert, but Robert's formal title is the director of PR for Melissa's World Variety Produce, but he's also uh, in charge of handling all public relations for food trade and consumer press. Again, he's been given that title, the produce expert, and he has been featured in national consumer and trade publications and radio and television, of course. And he's also accredited with more than 20,000 articles in consumer and trade press to date. So the man knows what he's talking about. He's been around the world in search of bringing these wonderful ingredients to the forefront. And then if that wasn't enough, he's also co-authored six cookbooks on, on behalf of Melissa's, touching upon subjects of produce, obviously, hatched chilies, the 50 best plants on the planet, great pepper cookbook. So you can just imagine Robert is the man that we need to talk to as far as it goes to avocado and other tropical fruits, because that's what we're going to be focusing on this particular podcast. So uh, Robert, welcome. We're happy to have you. Well, thank you, Aron and Zarella. Glad to be a part of this. Well, you know, we, we go way back, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like uh, we go back. I, I remember that I took part in that in that uh, chili book, didn't I? Yes. So anyway, this is very exciting for me. Yeah. I, I get this basket from you of all these ingredients, and all I do is cook the whole time. Now, Robert, 
can you please uh, share with our listeners and everyone that supports? First of all, we want to just get so much love to you and to all uh, the Melissa family. You know, I know that Joe and the family have roots in El Paso, Texas, where I'm from. So uh, I feel like your participation and your support is so impactful and so special for us. So we thank you profusely. Uh, just give a little bit more insight about what you do for Melissa's in particular and what are some of those different hats you wear, Robert? Okay, well, um, Robert Schuler, Melissa's Produce. My, for, my formal title is Director of Public Relations, but I um, oversee a lot of the marketing and the PR and communications to chefs and to a lot of food writers and authors. Melissa's Produce is the largest variety supplier of produce in the United States. We have a product line of over 1,500 different items. You can find our products in your local store and most stores across the country we distribute into all 50 states. Um, we're known for introducing new fruits and vegetables to the United States all the time. So if you dragon fruit, Indian mangoes, jackfruit, if you name the fruit or vegetable, chances are we have something to do with it. Didn't you introduce a kiwi? Well, we didn't introduce it. We introduced the baby kiwi, which are called kiwi berries. <laughs> but we, we did have contribution into a lot of those exotic fruits like the kiwi that is possible and accessible uh, all across the United States. Yeah, and, and and I think right now, people more so than ever are interested in being more adventurous with their cooking more adventurous with the cultural uh, origins of what they're doing at home. And uh, again, not to uh, just, I want to give so much love to Melissa's because they have been doing this for numerous years when necessarily wasn't a market for it, but their commitment to bringing new ingredients to the marketplace should be commended. It should be applauded. And uh, so we're so happy to have you part of this, Robert. Again, I just, my mom and I could, could not stop praising you guys over at Melissa's. So yeah. thank you so much. Um, Let's talk a little bit about, you know, we talked about some, a little bit of the exotics, but let's, let's what, mom, I think one of the ingredients that we are crazy about, I like to call Latino, Latino butter, which is aguacates, right? Yeah. Well, they call it in Mexico, they call it the butter of the poor. Yeah. You know, and I remember when I first moved to New York, I was doing this particular salad that I still do with avocado cubes, chicharrones, pico de gallo. And I and I wanted some baby baby avocados, tiny little avocados, and 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 we would serve them as a cocktail, you know, stuffed with a salad. And I think that we got it from you. But what are the best selling avocados now in your in your line? Obviously, the most common staple across the United States and among chefs is the Haas avocado. The Haas avocado is your avocado. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's pear shape, has a large seed. You wait until it's firm. You, the little stem button tells you when the avocado's ripe because the, the the little stem will be able to pop right off. If the if the if the stem doesn't pop right off, your avocado's not ripe yet. A lot of times at the supermarkets they put a ripe uh, sticker on there because it's soft to the touch. But Zarella, you mentioned about the little uh, the little cocktail, the little baby avocados. Interesting story about those. Uh, it's actually what is called a sport in nature. A sport is what is called an accident because the avocado grows without a seed. It happens in avocado trees. Maybe one out of every 30 fruit grows a sport 
And that is the little, it's about the size of your pinky finger. And so you, when you cut it open, when it's soft, you cut it open, it's all avocado. It's like a, a single serving size of butter in an avocado. Again, those are baby avocados or cocktail avocados. And we were the company, Melissa's Produce, that helped introduce it to the United States about 36 years ago when we first started doing our business there. And um, the chefs loved using them because you just cut them open, squeeze it out, and then you don't have to deal with the seed or anything like that and enjoy them. It's kind of like the immaculate conception of uh, avocados, no? Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> and... Well, we, we spoke a little bit, Mom, about the idea that why do chefs love avocado? And, and, and you guys brought only, you know, a mere 36 years ago with the little cocktail avocados. I mean, just from a, uh, a cost perspective, you get more yield. Obviously, it's easy to use, et cetera, et cetera. Now, uh, Michoacan, for many years, has been known correctly for the place that produces a lot of Mexican Haas avocados. Is that correct, Robert? That, yes. That particular state? Well, actually, uh, not only that city, but... Uh, Mexico is the largest provider of avocados into the United States. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a California thing or a Florida thing. Uh, Mexico has been the largest provider to the United States uh, pretty much year round because of their proximity to the equator and their temperate that they can grow the avocado. See, one thing the avocados don't like, they do not like frost and they do not like over 100 degrees. So you got to have temperate weather. And that's why uh, so many avocados come in on California when they come into season in the uh, sp spring and early summertime. So it's too bad that you can't bring all the varieties that are available in Mexico because their skins are so, you know, the I was so surprised with that big avocado that you sent me because I was told that you should never eat those things because they were fibrous and and you said it was fantastic. So what was it that you sent me? Okay, that's another avocado that Melissa is most known for. We introduced it into the United States earlier this year, right before COVID season. It is called the tropical avocado. What probably surprised you, Zarella, unlike a Haas, you know a Haas, it turns blackish in color, you know, a dark color when it's ripened and softens. The, the avocado that I sent you called the tropical avocado is larger in size and has a green skin to it. It does not color, you know, like a regular avocado. Also, you'll notice it's much larger in size and has a smaller pit on the inside. Now, the flavor profile is a little different from that of the Haas, giving you flexibility to use it at other applications. Of course, the Haas avocado is probably the best one to make a guacamole, but when you're doing other things, whether it's um, a toast, whether you're cooking with it, whether you're using it raw into a salad, this tropical avocado, you get more bang for your buck because they're actually less expensive per pound than that of the traditional Haas avocados. So that is one of the big trends we'll see here in the United States for also coming up in 2021 are these green tropical avocados. Yeah, I mean, in the Yucatan, they have the little baby ones that are called the criollos, right? The little, they, they're little dark ones. That so, apparently, you can even eat the skin that, I, that I've been told. Um, you know, one of the things that's interesting about the, when you talk about the migration of ingredients, right? You know, there's an idea called the Columbus Exchange where one ingredient is native to one land, but then it's allowed to proliferate in another, in another part of the world. And a lot of it has to do with the latitude 
because the idea is that you have you know temperate uh, similar weather patterns. I remember going to Europe. I was in Italy and I saw this place that said Barra Mesacani. It was a, a a bar, a Mexican kind of place. And, and I walked in and I said, they had guacamole and it looked good. And I said, where do you get your avocados from? And they said, Israel. Israel is one of the largest producers of avocados. Think of any of that Mediterranean diet and all those ingredients. They're kind of like the California of, of that We get a lot of exciting yeah. fruit from Israel, like uh, Sharon fruit, which is a persimmon. Uh, um, pomegranate, pomegranate arrows. Uh, that's Where did a great pomegranates originate? Because I use it a lot. I don't know. I made the uh, pico de gallo de, de granada that has uh, diced avocado, uh, pomegranate seeds, a vinaigrette, cilantro. It's really, really delicious. Yeah, um, you know, and that's the thing. We've been working on trying. One of the things around in Zarel, you probably understand, is that Melissa tries to make produce available year-round. So we'll follow um, we'll follow the seasons, whether above the equator right now here in the United States. You know, we'll have pomegranate Zarela from, uh, we, we start in August, and it will go through March. But then we, then we follow the seasons, and then we look to Chile and New Zealand and Peru for um the opposite season so probably in the next year or two we'll pretty much have pomegranates available year uh year round right now we sell the pomegranate arrows in a package where you this it's already peeled and stuff we already do that year round now because we follow the seasons for that to be allowed to be brought in but you you mentioned an ingredient um, that is even popular in Mexico. It's a global item, just like the avocado, and the difference that it put that it makes not only from the presentation on the plate around and and zarella, mm. but the flavor profiles that it gives in the dish. Yeah, mom, that was that was a beautiful transition, mom. By the way, thank you, honey. Uh, to the pomegranate, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the pomegranate, mom, because it's such a beloved ingredient, and I feel. Five years ago, when all the palm juice craze hit everybody and people thought this was going to be the end-all, end-all and cure you from anything from, you know, upset stomach to... Gonorrhea. You know, <laughs> gonorrhea or whatever. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the pomegranate from... You know, I remember in El Paso, we had a pomegranate tree and it rains very little there. It's a stubborn fruit that needs very little water to, to proliferate and, and, and sustain itself. So... Um, Let's talk about our little love for the Granada, no? From whether it's chili, chilies and nogada or, or the ponches or, or go into it a little bit, Mom. Well, you know, it's, a, it's the star of the chiles and nogada, you know, which is, I think, probably, besides mole, one of the classic Mexican dishes it, it, because it looks like the flag and it's beautiful. And it adds that, that, that acid kick. See, I, I feel that a dish isn't complete until you have an acid note at the end. So that's that's a really good way. But I remember when I was in the college in Guadalajara, uh, we went to this place called Sayula, and they made this, what they called bonches, but they were really like liqueurs cured with, with pomegranates. It was fantastic. Are there any pomegranate liqueurs now? Um, I'm sure there are. I'm not a connoisseur of the liqueur and whatnot. <laughs> However, we do supply to a lot of chefs and mixologists, and pomegranate seems to be one of the staples, whether we have it fresh whole, which they prefer, 
or in the package where you just have the arrows and you don't have to take the whole thing apart. Yeah, and, and then also the jarabes or the uh, the syrups of pomegranate are also a, a really sort of sought-after item. Uh, just a technique for everybody at home. If you want to be able to extract the arrows or the seeds of the pomegranate, a little quick tip, cut it down the middle and take a wooden spoon over a bowl and hit the, the skin side of the actual pomegranate on the back end, and it tends to pop out the, the, the little the arrows or the seeds a little easier. So just a little, a little lanyap, as we like to say in New Orleans, a little something extra. Well, you, you want, for you, you guys. want to make sure that the middle is in between the, the stem and the other, because a lot of times if you cut it the other way, it's also the middle, but it's a different middle. Yeah, you know what I meant. <laughs> no, but 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 our listeners might not. Yeah. Yes, you're absolutely right, Mom. Thank you, honey. Thank. Thanks for the correction. <laughs> you've been you've been doing it all my life. So. Well, you know, fantastic. Shall we go to Quinn's? Yes, we let's. But mom, before we do that, uh, let's take a quick pause and give some love to our sponsors. Please, stay, stay with us. This episode of Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is supported by Melissa's Produce, the largest distributor of specialty produce in the United States. Sharon and Joe Hernandez founded Melissa's in 1984 in a small rented produce warehouse lunchroom. Today, the business operates out of a 280,000 square foot facility located in Los Angeles with a state-of-the-art organic packing facility. Visit melissas.com to explore what produce is currently in season. Browse recipes and meet their team of chefs. They even have videos to help plan your meals each week. Shop the special ingredients like black garlic, pink low pineapple, sunchokes, and fresno chiles. Or browse their organic baskets and boxes to get all the fruits and veggies your family needs delivered right to your door. Melissas has the freshest ideas in produce. Learn more at melissas.com. When I first approached Robert about doing this podcast with us, I said, can you please send me quince? Because there's absolutely nothing that reminds me more of my mom than quince. You know, because at the ranch, whenever they, they came into season, the, the people who lived on the ranch would come down with burros full of boxes of quince, and my mom would make paste, quince paste. Mm-hmm. Or she'd slice them and, and make them into these preserves. And forever, that's the only dessert that we had with, with some of the ra- cheese that we made at the ranch. And then, and then you know, with a quince paste. So there I am two days ago, three days ago, peeling the six quince that he sent me, which is not an easy thing to do, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then and I, made the, and I made the paste, which is really easy to make, but it takes a lot of hours. But I have a beautiful story. You know, when my mom was a, the oldest of three sisters who were beautiful, the other sisters. And my mother always felt that she was ugly. And one day I have a picture of her talking to my, her, her grandmother, Mane, and who, was, who was cleaning off that little fuzz off the quince. You know, and, and, she, and she said, and she told my mom, some people are beautiful outside and some people are beautiful inside. And I'm taking this fuzz off and then oh, it's going to be like, you're going to be like that. 
Yeah. You know, and, and quince, it's it's one of the almost oldest ingredients in, in, in humankind. I mean, a lot of people talk about Adam and Eve and it's the apple, but it's actually the quince that was was the forbidden fruit. Um, and Robert, you know, you, I, 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 you didn't think I knew that, right? But I'm throwing that on you, so I'm happy that you gave me the love. Well, talk to me a little bit about the popularity of quince and, and how it's grown. Well, I think the quince has been a really misunderstood fruit because it's, um, it's known as a fruit that you can cook with, but that's not true. A simple snack that you can do with quince is cut it into wedges, squeeze a little lime juice and some pica de gallo, and you have an instant snack. But yes, most often than not, most people cook it into like the, the Mambrio jelly. Now, the thing is, is that the quince is not available year round. It's seasonally twice from uh, California, grows it from um, September until the end of this December. So you only have another week or so to enjoy them. But don't worry, Zarella. In the springtime, we look below the hemisphere. We get them from Chile and we'll have them again if you need some more. Uh, in the spring, April, May, and June. And so there's that seasonal shift to always look forward to having a quince and making mambrillo at home. So yeah, try it raw. If you've never tried it before, cut it into wedges like you would an apple. Squeeze some lime juice, key lime or Persian lime or whatever type of lime you want to get a little tackiness because it is a crunchy, it's not a super sweet fruit, but you got to add the sweetness and the acidity of both the lime and the chili powder, and it's a great snack. Mm. I love it. But it does have a little sticky, this little sticky feel, doesn't it? Yes. It does have a, it's not like an apple or a pear, that's for sure. Yeah. And something else, you can actually add it, some diced quince into your traditional apple pie as well to have a different texture in there because it's it tends to be a little bit more fibrous and and but it has a pleasant mouthfeel it's just one of those things that maybe mix it up next time do a little half and halfy do you all sell any products like 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 the quince uh, leather or anything like that or just just, um, just the fruit itself in food service we do the paste uh block but usually, typically, we don't sell that at retail. The, um, it's the, the uh, restaurants, the chefs that demand that, kind of like a guava paste. Um, it comes in a, like a block and, uh, or like a tamarindo, um, which is another food we'll probably be talking about. Um, and you can get that at a food service level um, and, and pretty much year-round because it's like a dried fruit. So uh, the idea of quince membrillo, this beloved uh, ancient fruit, that you know, thanks to our friends at Melissa's, have have, have been bringing it to the masses for for years. Um, it's it's very popular in Latin Caribbean cultures. Uh, if you go to Cuba, you get that queso blanco with a nice little slice of uh, this kind of almost like a, a ate or like a like a jelly of quince. Um, you know, one of the other things that I think is starting to another items that has started to get a lot more popularity and, and kind of recognition is the idea of, of the tunas. Let's talk a little bit about tunas, mom, and the cactus pear, and all the different iterations of that of the cactus and how it's become popular. And Robert, we'd love to, for you to chime in, obviously, as far as how you felt its growth and, and understanding. Well, the only thing about cooking tunas is when you make that sauce, the salsa de joconosle, with a green, with a green tunas. But those have been on the market forever, huh? Oh, yeah. But I don't really know a lot about 
cooking, but I do know I just I love to eat them. You know, when they're very ripe. Yeah, um, the uh, cactus pears, also referred to as prickly pears, also referred to as tunas, not to get mixed up with the fish, uh, is the traditional name for it. Um, we actually, Melissa's carries it year-round. It has been increasing in popularity over the years beyond just the Hispanic uh, audience that enjoys them in meals and whatnot. Especially, it's a popular now in like Agua Frescas and whatnot. It adds a bold color to it. Um, so during the um, the uh, late winter uh, to uh, uh, summertime, we'll get them domestically. On the off season, we'll get them from Mexico. And that allows for them to be available year round. The most common uh, variety of the prickly pear, the tunas, is red. However, in the springtime, um, you can, there's also a green uh, variety that we'll see from like March until about early June. That one is not as sweet, but is, is used well for sauces and other cooking and whatnot. But there's also another uh, uh, cactus fruit that has been really trending here in the marketplace. Um, in Mexico, it's referred to as pataya. Pitayas, yes, of yes, course. but commonly in the marketplace, uh, because of its marketing name that is used in Asia called the dragon fruit, is a fruit of also the cactus that has been extremely popular, even more popular than the tunis, the prickly pear. It grows on a cactus, uh, but has a very different uh, flavor profile. The neat thing about the prickly pears, it has that texture, the seedy texture in it. Unlike a dragon fruit, or was also referred to as the pataya, you do not you do not taste the seeds whatsoever. But it's beautiful. So it's a it's a it's a great garnish. Yeah, I, you see it very you know as Tulum and Quintana Roo has become so popular that part of Mexico for tourists. The the pitaya down there is very 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 prolific and, and very prevalent in that part of Mexico. It is you're right. It's it's beautiful. It's it's appealing to the eye. Uh, if you're gonna work with the traditional cactus fruit or the tuna, uh, peel it. I like to personally put it through a sieve, and I kind of run it down and and, get, and extract the little the very the, the seeds because they're very kind of bitter and and very acrid. So you just kind of want to extract that beautiful pulp from the cactus pear. So just run it through a sieve so you're just getting the, the best parts of it, okay? And, it, and it's, it's really fantastic to utilize if you buzz it into a little bit of lime and some chili. It's a beautiful garnish for something like raw uh, fish. If you want to do a tererito or a ceviche, you can do a cactus pear style ceviche with it, just utilizing the pulp. Uh, so that's also an option. Don't be afraid to get that pole, buzz it up, make a great cocktail with it. Mezcal or tequila, obviously, make that bridge between the, the agave. So those are just uh, a couple of uh, different applications with the beautiful tuna and, and the, and, and the, or the cactus pearl, the pitaya, for that matter. How about coconuts? Yeah, let's talk there's about There's so coconuts. much stuff to cover, you know. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, there's several varieties of coconuts here in the United States. I believe the coconut, really in the United States, the influence was not only from Mexico, which is probably the biggest impact, but also from Asia as well. So I want to break it down. There's really uh, three different varieties of coconuts that are available to us in the United States. 
Now, the traditional brown coconut um, that I sent you, Zarella, is the quick crack coconut. It is a oh. it is the brown storage coconut that's pre-scored, meaning that it's not cut all the way in, but it gives you a starting point to be able to break it open and extract the meat, the the, the flesh on the inside. Yeah. Next, you have the white coconut, another very popular coconut out of Mexico. The white coconut is actually a fresher coconut because when it comes out of the husk, it is white in color. Now, when they when they store it, it turns brown and becomes a storage coconut. Now, the white coconut is a fresher coconut. So the white coconut, you can pop a hole in it and enjoy the water out of it and then break it open and enjoy the meat as well. Which is very soft. Yes. So you get both the water, the juice on the inside, it's not milk, and the meat on a white coconut. And then finally, and the influence is really from Asia, is those ones, those those white coconuts that look like a parking cone. They're the Thai, <laughs> they're called the Thai young coconut. They're from Thailand. They are the youngest. In other words, they're coconuts that are harvested much earlier. When you harvest a coconut, that is much earlier, um, it, it is larger in size, it contains a lot more water, again, it's water, or what people refer to as the juice, it's not milk that's on the inside, and mm -hmm. those coconuts are mainly enjoyed just for the water. If you can break it open, you have to have a really good chef knife or a machete to cut it, to break it open, or maybe a coconut opener, um, which we offer, it pops a hole in it, you could get a straw and then drink the water, and then if you cut it open, the it's 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 called the young coconut because the flesh hasn't fully developed. So what you do on the on the young coconuts is you can actually scrape out what I call coconut pudding because the the um the uh the flesh hasn't fully firmed like you would on a brown coconut. Well, that's a, the kind mm -hmm. the kind that they use all over the the, the beach pairs where they make the coco locos. They they put in rum and and lime juice and. You drink it with a straw, it's fantastic. You know, the only other, the savor, there's one savory uh, use of coconut, I guess oil, which is, is in uh, Chetumal, which is all the way next to Belize. And they have a dish there that's called rice and beans, spelled R-A-I-S-E-N-B-I-N-S. -I -I -N -N -S. But it's made with coconut oil. Robert, do you guys sell co coconut oil as well? We don't sell coconut oil. Um, we do offer uh, a distrib distribution in food service, but we do other products that have coconut in them. Um, for example, we do the coconut chips, like the baking chips. We mm -hmm. do the strips. Oh. So we do the thin little strips. We do the chips, which are hard cut, you know, like pieces, kind of like... Um, kind of like Parmesan cheese. And then we also have products, you know, coconut has been a huge trend in the United States as a flavor profile beyond just the Mexican cuisine and, and Asian dishes. It has been uh, like the avocado and the pomegranate that we spoke about, a very cross-cultural fruit and, and, and very popular fruit, even more popular in other countries than here in the United States. And then we have them in other products, like we do a clean snack product, it's a little square, and coconut is one of the popular flavor profiles that we have there. So coconut oils, coconut water, coconut products, really trending here in the United States. I live on Vita Coco. There you go. Ah, coconut water, yes. Yeah. 
So one of the, and, and just for anyone at home that buys a coconut, don't be intimidated. Don't feel the need to go into your garage and like Home Depot your coconut. Okay, you know I I, I see people taking out hammers and drill bits and stuff like that. I mean, I, I get very concerned. Okay, first of all, it's dangerous and not correct. Okay, one of the cool things you can do is just take the coconut, take a heavy heavy knife or something, you know, like a cleaver, and then just hit it and then kind of toss it and hit it and toss it right in the middle and it'll crack open and do it over a bowl. Okay. Now, quickly, you want to make coconut milk? Not a big deal. Scrape that, buzz it up with the water, pass it through a cheesecloth or a sieve, you have coconut milk. It's not a big deal. Another way that you can work with the product, once you've cut the coconut in half, put it on a sheet tray in, a, in an oven, the 350-degree oven, till you start to see it brown right on the outside, okay? And then once you see that, let it cool down and put a little butter knife in between the hard shell and the flesh, and then it'll pop out. All that beautiful flesh of the coconut will pop out very easily, okay? So don't feel like you have to crack it and do all that. Put it in the oven, let it cool down, run a butter knife in between it, and the, and the flesh will pop out. So when, you're, okay? so when you're hitting it, do you have a hole made into it or no? No, I don't. But you take the coconut back. You can do it with a hammer, by the way. I take it back. You can do it with a hammer. Actually, the hammer would be safer. To be honest, that way there's no blades involved. But <laughs> you would take you take the the, the the coconut and just right down the middle and do your best to kind of rotate it and hit in the middle and trust me it will pop open. Okay. All right, for uh, a non-chef doing <laughs> that um, because the blade can be uh, yeah. very uh, dangerous, especially if you've never done this before. Another thing to do, um, you know, because you're dealing with if you're dealing with drills and hammers, there's a food safety issue there. What you do is, um, because, you know, that hammer's probably been through a lot. What you do is you go outside, you take the coconut, put a dish towel around it. So when you bash it with a hammer, it doesn't splatter everywhere. And it's, and the, the grease and stuff that you have on the hammer doesn't get infected inside the um, coconut. So use a dishcloth flat on the ground, wrapped up. When you smash it, the stuff won't go everywhere. And then, of course, you can ex then you open up the dish towel. Don't worry about the water. Enjoy the meat and grind it out. Yeah, Robert, safety first. I love it, my friend. You're the man. <laughs> so we have one more thing to talk about, at least for, for now. Mangos. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about mangos and, and all the different uh, uh, styles, because people think mango, mango is a mango, no? But actually, it's not. Uh, Robert, why don't you touch a little bit about different styles of mangoes? Okay, first of all, I don't know um, about you guys, but in America, mango is number 13 on the list in terms of popularity. However, wow. if you look in any other country, like Mexico or whatnot, or many Central, Central and South American countries, number one fruit, mango. Mango, mango. What does the rest of the world know that we don't know? Well, I think a lot has to do with it, Aronin and Zarella, is education. People think that a mango should look red, yellow, orange, and have no green on it. No, there are different varieties of mangoes. Some mangoes are only green, like the green keep mangoes. They are only green. First of all, color is not an indication of ripeness, okay? And the most popular mango in the United States is called the Tommy Atkins variety. That's the pretty one. 
That's red, yellow, and orange. It's beautiful. You see it on a year-round basis. However, it's probably, of all of them, it's the least desirable of them all because, as you know, probably around Zarella, when you bite into a Tommy Atkins, you get is what is called mango mouth. And all, oh. the little, all the little fibers get stuck in your teeth. Okay, but there's so many other varieties. There's the yellow mango, the little small yellow mango that you see all spring and summer called the atafo or what is also called as the honey or what is also called the, the Mexican mango, completely fiberless, meaning when you bite into it, you don't get mango mouth. That's something to always look forward to is the small yellow ones from Mexico. They look like a teardrop. Yes. And they're smaller and, you know, during the um, spring and summer months, it's the only time where you can typically buy a whole case of mangoes. Instead of buying one at a time, you can buy a whole case for a few dollars um, versus like during the winter time right now, mangoes are a little bit harder to come by and they may cost a dollar or two. But during the spring and summertime, which I always refer to as the mango season, even though mangoes are available year round, you'll be able to be able to buy them by the case. But right now, like the one I, I uh, the ones I sent to you, Zarella, are typically the one called Saparano. Um, the Saparano is a mango from Mexico. I think the best mangoes I've ever tasted do actually come out of Mexico. It's one of our newest varieties. And this is a this is this is another thing about the mango for the average American. They don't know when it's ripe. Again, color is not. You want it like an avocado, soft and to the touch. You'll also, from the stem end, you'll also smell the aroma. The aroma is a dead giveaway on fruits across the board. But the Saperano mango, it is a fruit that Melissa's guarantees will always be ripe when you buy it. You don't have to buy that mango, wait a week for it to, um, oh yeah, and you never wanna refrigerate a mango. You wanna keep it out on room temperature so it ripens up appropriately and then you can enjoy it. But my favorite right now is that Saperano mango. It's, it's, um, it, it, it has different flavor colors on it, so color, don't worry about that. But when you get it, it is ripe, soft to the touch and fiberless. I love fiberless mangoes like that well i made my chicken girasol salad with it uh which is like a, a chicken that is marinated with chipotle paste and then roasted or grilled and then sliced and put in the middle and then form of like a sunflower around the around the rim and and dress it with a chipotle vinaigrette it is fantastic and and one good way of using the mango but I, the only candy I have are, are chili mangos. You know, the ones that are coated in chili, I love that. Mm. Put it on a stick. Yeah, and it's very typical. You'd, you'd get like a little snack in Mexico where you'd have perhaps jicama, mango, cucumber, and then just simply lime, salt, and some, some good chili limon or chili powder on top. And that's a beautiful snack. And I think if somebody wants to capture what the Mexican palate is all about, have a snack like that. Because that's we, we we're factuated with uh, with acid, with chile, and then that freshness. So if you want if you want to understand the Mexican palate, uh, that's really a perfect example of it. That that simple very simple botana or, or snack. You know, in Mexico, when when a guy is very good looking, it's un mango. That's that's how you describe a a, a good looking man. It's un mango. There you go, Nick Robert. 
you were trying to figure out what that nickname in high school was all about, huh? <laughs> there you go, buddy. I was, no wonder you went into produce. Hey, I uh, I never knew the mango, what it tasted like until I, until I started working for uh, Melissa's Produce just over 24 years ago. I was one of those uh, average Americans who looked at the mango and said, I've never had it growing up. I have no idea what it tastes like. And wow, how, how long I was missing the mango. That's probably why the mango is continuing to trend and become more popular in the United States because uh, a lot of people have never tried it. And once you try it, you become a believer. And mango, like the coconut we talked earlier, is found in so many different uh, foods now and used uh, beyond just for its flavor as a tenderizer. Um, it's That's why the world is not uh, incorrect. The mango is the number one fruit, just not here in the United States. Not yet. And Rob, you said a couple of things that I think are very insightful and poignant. I think the idea of don't be afraid to buy a case of mangoes. If you see them at their optimum time, you know, don't put them in the fridge very much like tomatoes. They'll become mealy. They'll, they'll lose all of their intensity of flavor. So don't do that. Keep them room temperature. If you have like a little bit of a uh, kind of like a pantry area that, and, and designate some of that area for your, for your fruits and veg. You can make uh, uh, those those drinks every day with them. You can make mango mousse. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, uh, ice creams. And freeze the pulp. Exactly. I mean, don't be afraid to freeze the pulp. It, it's it's great. I think one of the problems has been around in Zarella. When I first started uh, eating a mango, I made the I made the problem of trying to cut it in half like a peach and trying to separate the seed from that. Now there's a there's an art to it and if you google it anywhere you're going to find out how to cut a mango really easily and it's you know it's it's cutting it from the side to side there's even a tool i think like oxo makes that is a mango cutter because you you don't eat the seed which i call the bone and not the skin but everything else is juicy and delicious well Absolutely. on that note honey yeah you know on that note Robert, first of all, we want to give a lot of love and your insight and your presence and uh, your knowledge of all these ingredients, I think, is only going to add to people's uh, desire to be able to procure these ingredients, uh, to utilize them. Hopefully, we've, we've shared enough technique and insight on how to use the, these wonderful ingredients. But we encourage everyone that's listening to go to Melissa's and please, if you can give us some information, Robert, on where people can seek out the wonderful plethora of ingredients that you guys offer on a daily basis. Well, you can go to our website at melissas.com. You can go and find us on social media at Melissa's Produce, which is one word, at Melissa's Produce. And you'll be able to plug in whether it's Facebook, Instagram or whatnot, YouTube as well. And the, actually, our YouTube has a lot of the videos on how to cut a mango and many and how to work with many of the other fruits and vegetables. But if you go to our website at melissas.com, uh, I guarantee you there'll be at least five or six recipes for every single fruit that we talked about um, on today's show. 
Absolutely. And, and I just want everyone to be aware, this is not the first time we're going to see Robert, hopefully, on, on Cooking in Mexican from A to Z on HRN. Uh, we anticipate that this will be one of many different visits from our friends at Melissa's uh, Variety Produce. So we're very excited for them to support this wonderful podcast that continues to inspire, continues to demystify Mexican ingredients by bringing wonderful, colorful stories from my mom, uh, experiences from the professional and home kitchen so this is what we're here to do i hope everyone has enjoyed this unbelievable episode of avocados and tropical fruits from our good friend robert schuler from Melissa's variety produce muchisimas gracias thank you for tuning in to hrn uh please be on the lookout for more of our beautiful podcast thank you muchisimas gracias Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is powered by Simple Cast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without your support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Yeah.